the world's finest surfers showed up today to do battle with what's turned out to be the biggest waves to hit this coast since 1946. Hello, everybody. I'm Stu Nahan. I'd like you to meet this young man. His name, Jeff Spicoli. And Jeff, congratulations to you. Things look kind of rough out there today. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle with some humongous waves. But, you know, just like I told the guy on ABC, <laughs> Danger is my business. <laughs> you know, a lot of people expect that maybe Mark Cutback Davis or Bob Jungle Death Gerard would take the honors this year. Oh, those guys are facts. <laughs> That's fantastic. Let me ask you a question. When you get out there, do you ever fear for your life? Well, Sue, I'll tell you, surfing's not a sport. It's a way of life, no hobby. It's a way of looking at that wave and saying, hey, bud, <laughs> let's party. Oh, where'd you get this jacket? I got this in the network. Let me ask you a question. What's next for Jeff Spicola? Oh, headed over to Australia and the Hawaiian Internationals. And me and Mick are going to wing on over to London and jam with the Stones. Oh, you guys are invited too. everybody, and welcome to the Nightfly with Dave Juskow, your favorite podcast, the only podcast you need, in a beautiful July setting of an evening in, uh, I was going to say sunny Manhattan, but the sun is going down as I look onto the East River. Yes, it's a bedroom edition, so if that's not creepy enough for you, of the Nightfly with Dave Juskow. It's been three weeks since we've been together. Is there lots of discuss? Yeah, I guess probably enough. And, uh, you know, it's not that big a deal. But, uh, yes, I took, a, I took a week off. And now we're back after the 4th of July. Taping on the Thursday after the 4th of July. Coming out on the Tuesday after the 4th of July. The 10th. Letting you know all that information for no reason. Waiting for the song to end mostly. But it won't. Because I really have nothing to say. And I'm not reading a piece of paper. All from the top of Dave Juskow's head, which doesn't work very well, as I can say, because I just saw David Tell down at the Comedy Cellar over the weekend, and that's when you know your mind's really clicking. He is an asshole and a genius at the same time. <laughs> kind of like me, except for the genius part. <laughs> How you doing? Rick O'Casey, give me some slack. Yeah, we'll be talking a little cars today. Yeah. Since I've been talking to... Our friends at, um, I think it's called the Nightcap. Oh, my God, I didn't do my research. It's, oh, my God, I can't remember. It's a Cars. I'll find out. I'm so sorry, Dave. Uh, Dave Curry and Donna do uh, at Cars. The Cars, the band, podcast. I think it's called Nightcast. I might have it. Night Spots? Maybe that's what it is. I think that's why it threw me off, because it, it doesn't. I don't know what it has to do with the cars, but I don't even want to say that, too, because maybe it's like a thing in a song, just like we use Frozen Fire or something like that, you know, and then I don't know enough about the cars, and I shouldn't be doing a movie about the cars, but I should, nobody should be really doing a movie about the cars, but anyway, that's what we're doing, and I sent it off so they the movie so they can talk about it on their podcast, and then sooner or later, you'll get to see the movie about the cars, Turbocharged, the unauthorized story of the cars, as soon as I figure everything out, which I know is taking 
you know, what? Uh, well, 10 years isn't that really long to figure stuff out. Uh, it's just because the medium has changed since we've actually filmed the movie. I watched a little bit the other day, and I'm still embarrassed. <laughs> Put a lot of money into that. I could have used for hair products now. Because I will tell you something. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I just got my haircut. I just came back from the haircut. That's why I'm starting a little late. I gotta, I gotta finish before the sun goes down. Though I can't see my paper. <laughs> uh, but I went to the hair. I got a haircut today, and I told the guy. You know, this is the guy that told me. I took a little trip into Bosley, Bosley last week. Yeah, I know. Uh, took a chance in possibly thinking of. Getting whatever they call, I don't think they call it implants anymore. Maybe they do, but I'm thinking about getting some more hair. Yeah. Well, I've obviously been thinking about it for a long time, but I never thought I'd actually do it. But um, yeah, I went for a little consultation action. It's a free uh, consultation. I went with this uh, woman from my office, an Orthodox Jew, who, you know, doesn't take any shit. And if you hear a humming today, it's because I have the fan blowing in me. You know, I can't have the air conditioner on, which is making me a little nervous about next week. We're all over the place. Next week, next week. We're going to have, assuming everything goes according to plan, uh, Violet Ramis, Harold Ramis's daughter, as I've been promoting, uh, talk about her new book, Ghostbusters Daughter. And when they come over to my house, you know, I, I got to turn the air conditioning off. So I'm praying it's not going to be that hot. You know, I'm going to cool it down beforehand, but it does tend to get hot within an hour, and I can probably talk to her for three hours. I'm, I mean, it, the stuff I was going through, because I've been reading her book, I, I'm going to need two podcasts. Uh you know, if she is forthcoming about her dad in the movies, but who knows? I guess we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's coming up next week. We'll talk more about that later. But um, right now, I was talking about the hair thing, so I go with this Orthodox Jew from my office uh, who doesn't take any shit, you know? And uh, we go for the consultation, and when we left, I thought for sure she was going to be like, Dave, you don't have the money. You don't need it. You look fine. She was like, you got to do this. Because the way they were talking, I mean, they, they, they make a sales pitch. And, um, you know, you know, listen, listen, hey, Stacy, if it makes you feel better about yourself, what are you going to do? I mean, if that's, I don't know, what are you going to do? I mean, it's like buying a new car. The, the monthly payments will be like leasing a car. But it might be something I have to do. I'm checking another place first, but I might do it also. I think I might have talked about this. I don't know. But it's funny because my friend Alina, who actually got me Violet, told me about a couple of guys who went to Turkey to do it. Hair stuff. Which um, only costs about $3,000. They pay the airfare and everything. But then when I was at my barber, he goes, I know some guys that went to Turkey. So it's a thing. But... An American Jew going to Turkey, eh, I'm not so sure it's such a great idea. On the flip side of that, I'm not sure what else horrible can happen to me. You know, I mean, you know, so let's say the worst thing that happens is I get killed there going for hair. Now, that's hilarious. So all my friends will be able to make jokes for the rest of their lives. And then, uh, you know what? Well, I'll be out of debt. Uh, we don't have to, the, the minutiae will be finished. It won't be, you know what I'm saying? And the, and the only thing you can come back, like, let's say there, you know, there is some attempt, there's some action, something happens. I mean, you know, then we have podcasts forever. 
to talk about it. Seems like a win-win situation. Or you come back with hair that only costs $3,000 instead of $20,000. These are things I'm thinking of. And what am I doing? I, what am I, I, I always tell everybody, don't go to Turkey. Turkey's uh, not only is it extremely anti-Semitic, but, uh, you know, it's scary over there. But, uh, eh, like I said, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm a fun guy. They're going to be like, yeah, this guy's all right. It's going to be just the way I depicted, um, you know, like if I was in the Holocaust and all of a sudden I uh, met Hitler and, you know, we kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, he's got to put me in the gas chambers because, you know, it would be awkward to have one Jew out. But I, I, I think he liked a couple of Jews. I'd probably be in that category. And then when he finally got fed up, you know, he'd put me in. But I, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm swayed by people. And actually, why don't we uh, open by talking about how horrible millennials and other people are and... You know, I would like to talk about, I'd like to open uh, today with uh, talking about Sarah Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and how she got uh, ejected from that restaurant, the Red Hen, which made me so angry. Now, you know, here's the thing. So that kind of thing makes me angry. Now, again, this is not a pro-Trump podcast. You know what it is? It's a pro-American podcast. It's a pro... He's our president. I don't want to... I don't want to say, fuck Donald Trump. I don't want to pull a Robert De Niro. We talked about this last time we were together. I'm not that kind of person. I don't... I didn't like George Bush. I thought he was a horrible president. But I never said, fuck George Bush. Or anything like that, because I think when it's the president, I think you got to have a kind of respect. If you don't like the guy in four years, you vote in another guy. So maybe he's not the best president we've ever had. He certainly is not the best president we've ever had. But he made it. He worked it out. And however he got elected, he did it. And I don't care what the fuck you say. It was legal. We don't know what happened with the Russia thing and you know, all your conspiracy theories can say whatever you want. And then, you know, everybody's like, but he didn't win the vote because they talk about the popular vote. Well, he won and he's in office and it's fair and square and that's the way it is. Unless somebody has a better plan that they can knock him out, but they don't. So you got to worry about the next election. So, you know, when I, when I hear that this, this poor girl Again, you may not like Sarah Huckabee, but this is a woman who's doing her job. You may not like the things she does for the president, but she's working and doing her job, and, and she's doing it very well. She protects the president. That's what her job is. If her job was something else, she seems like a hard worker. She'd be doing that. It's very rude to ask somebody to leave your restaurant unless it's O.J. Simpson. Now that, I could maybe see asking him to leave. That's got to freak everyone out. But if somebody who's just doing their job, she's not the president. Listen, if you don't like his politics and you want to ask the president to leave, if you're that kind of wackadoodle who's going to ask the president of the United States to leave a restaurant... (laughs) Good for you. 
That's balls to the walls. But asking this woman who's just doing her job. Listen, I read a lot of nonsense in my job at the law firm. I read a lot of scumbag shit. And I do a lot of scumbag shit that makes me angry. But it's my job to do. I can choose to leave the firm if I feel like, hey, what we're doing here is not cool. I, I Obviously, I can't tell you what they are, but there's some pretty scumbaggy things that rich people do to poor people or poor countries, which I'm involved with. But that's my job. If every time I got up and said, this is bullshit, I mean, I, I'm not going to have a job anywhere. So she's doing her job. And you kick her out of a, her and her family out of a restaurant? So uncool. After they order the cheese platter? And you know the cheese platter is my favorite because of the bullets over Broadway? Wait, uh, I'll have the cheese platter now. Oh, and don't forget the National Road Pie. Lovely. I'll have the pork loin now. That's, of course, all I'm thinking of when they order the cheese platter. She's already sitting down eating, they've already bought her stuff. If you don't like her, stop her from the beginning. But it's still, oh, it's so, you know, it, you know, it's really difficult. I run in both circles. Most of my friends are, you know, angry at Trump and angry and just, you know, but but they're just like the the, the, the people, how do you describe it? They're just as cruel Asking Sarah Huckabee to leave a restaurant with her family there is just as cruel as anything you think Donald Trump has done. You know, I mean, uh, if you're going to say, oh, what are you talking about? He's separating families and stuff. I don't know. Listen, that was in play uh, long before he's just laying down the law. I know nobody likes that separation of the families. It's just, I don't know. Somebody's got to take a stand in immigration. Maybe he's not doing it the right way, but maybe we'll fix it. He heard your pleas. He's trying to work it out. I'm not sticking up for him, okay? I'm just saying let's we got to give the we got to give somebody a chance. If you keep yelling and screaming, I, I don't think that's going to help. You you can see what happens. He just gets angrier. But 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 you heard your pleas and you signed something. He says let's not separate families. So there it is. What do you got to kick this woman out of the restaurant for? And that's the thing. So at my job these millennials, they think they're so great. They're like, oh, that was awesome. That was awesome they did that. Good for Virginia, because this girl's from Virginia. Good for them. And I'm like, you know what? That's so mean. You, you kick out this poor woman and her family. You think her kids have anything to do with what she's doing? She's doing her job to provide food for her children. She might stay. If Trump loses and another Republican's elected, she will do the same for that guy. Maybe a Democrat would hire her. Who knows? Who even cares? She's going to go to where the job is. So you just kicked out this woman who's trying to do her job. Just because you don't appreciate the person she works for, you really need to be that cruel? Think about this. This is what really drove me home into where some of these, these millennials and, the, and these people just, you're getting a little out of control. You know, you're becoming the people that, I thought the Republicans were, but the other side is kind of becoming these cruel 
people when they say, they're, oh, you're being cruel, you're being cruel to these people, you're separating families, but you're being cruel to this lady and her family, to her face. Is it the same thing? I don't know. Was she not humiliated that she had to bring her family and that happened in front of her kids? It's pretty fucking bad too. And then, um, so I'm sitting at, you know, with these paralegals, right? They're like in their 20s. And I get a text or a, like an Instagram from an old secretary I used to work with who's lovely and we've been friends for years. I was at her kid's first birthday party and that kid, you know, 22, 23 years later, has now grown up to be a cop. And, he, and they had a picture of his graduation. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. He became a cop, he graduated. And those kids were like, ugh, oh great. Like they like hate the cops so much. They hate the cops. You believe that? That drives me insane. That drives me insane. They're mad at the cops. Who are they going to call when they first get into trouble? I can't even go into it because it, it makes me boil. They're mad at this guy for trying to do good. You don't know if this guy is going to, like, you know, shoot people or whatever. I mean, you know, we don't know the facts of everything. And I've told you before, being a cop is really scary. And 90% of cops rarely even pull their gun out or shoot. But these guys are terrified. And, yeah, maybe they mess up and badly sometimes. But, unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens. And it does always seem to happen that people are running away, even if they don't have a gun. It doesn't seem to happen to people that sit there and say, yes, officer, yes, officer, who pay attention and have the respect. And again, here are two instances where the other side of people that don't care for Trump or whoever or the cops are just being so disrespectful. And yeah, you may not like what certain people do, but there has to be respect at some point. And and, and it's troubling. And... Uh, you know, now this red hen is like, you know, they're opening today as we tape this podcast on Thursday, the 5th of July. I don't know what's going to happen. And they're getting boy. I mean, this is the penalty you get for kicking someone out. The owner must have known there'd be repercussions. I'm sure half of the country thought it was great. You know, most of my friends. But the other half, I, I'm just sitting here going, how rude. Because here's the other thing. So Tuesday night before July 4th, we got off early and I went out with a bunch of the younger attorneys. And uh, I said to them, and, and this is interesting, I said, what if I bought, because you know I'm friendly with Ann Coulter. And I said, if I bought her here and you spent some time with her and realized that she was nice, I mean, would you be able to have a conversation with her? And they're like, absolutely not. Oh my God. Oh, my God. No, I would shun her. I wouldn't even talk to her. I'd punch her in the face or something. And, I, you know, I'm like, you know, this is why nothing's getting done. Because I'm the kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy. You're jiggling, baby. Um, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that will always let somebody tell their side. And I'm, I guess I'm a sucker that way, too. When we've talked about this before, if somebody uses my name in a sentence... I'm going to love them. But Ann Coulter, off the 
microphone off the TV is a completely different person. She's a lot of fun. She's sexy. She's cool. Uh, you know, my friend Sherrod Small, who likes everybody, he's a black guy. He's friendly with her. He's, fr- he's that kind of guy. He's friendly with all kinds of different people. And that's the thing. After, when somebody's at a restaurant, they're not on duty. They're not in front of the cameras. They're regular people. Sarah Huckabee is not an evil person. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're, it's, like you're, it's like you're getting mad at Alan Rickman when you meet him because he's Hans Gruber. Do, do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's what it comes down to. You're angry at Hans Gruber, and then you meet Alan Rickman, and you're like, oh, he's a great guy. And I, I've fallen for that, too. Sometimes actors can be very powerful. You know, a lot of people, like, you meet soap opera people in the day, and you'd be like, oh, you're so mean to her because you, you forget. You were like, you know, but no, they're actors. They're doing a role. Like, like I met uh, Kurtwood Smith. Uh, I don't know. This is just an example off the top of my head. Uh, who used to play the dad in that 70s show. And he was also the very evil villain in RoboCop. And you meet him, and I'm like, oh, what an asshole. This guy's such an asshole. He's, he's mean to Topher, Topher Grace, isn't that his name? And the, to his son on the show, he's, he's mean in RoboCop. He always plays the bad guy. And then you meet him. What a delightful guy. He's smiling. He's funny. He's hilarious. He's a fucking actor. We forget. He's an actor doing a job. When you're talking to the person, now there's a lot of people that are who they are. Uh, Bill Maher is a great example. I love Bill Maher. But I can understand if you don't like his comedy. Remember, for comics, it's different. Because comics, you're getting who they are on stage. If you don't like his comedy, you're probably not going to like him in person. You're probably not going to want to talk to him. But isn't there a side of you that would like to talk to and have a conversation with them and just say, but do you really believe? And then you can have, you can sit down and have an intellectual conversation. I mean, the man is an intellect. You might not like his politics in one way, but he is an interesting guy, Bill Maher we're talking about. But again, if you're not talking about comedians, besides comedians, you're talking about actors, and Sarah Huckabee is an actress or an actor, if that's sexist, doing a job. When she is getting up in front of the camera, she's doing her job. When she's not in front of the camera, she might be, I don't know her, she might be a very delightful person who you just kicked out of the restaurant in front of her children and her family because you don't care for her boss's politics. Man, that ain't cool. That is not cool. And when I heard about it, I was so angry. And it's like that's the kind of thing that's going to be really problematic in the future for this country. That you can't put your, your hatred. You know, you guys who think Trump hates, he hates, he's another Hitler, whatever. You're not putting your hatred aside either. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of horrible groups. Listen, there are horrible people. There are people protesting the Red Hen because there were gay guys that worked there and they hate gay people. Well, those people are different kinds of people. And Trump doesn't condone that either, you know. He doesn't condone the Nazi party or any of these douchebags that are spewing hatred. This is different. But you guys, the people that I know, are also spewing hatred against Sarah Huckabee, against, um, you know, uh, uh, you know I forgot what the, the 
you know, uh, crap, lost my place off the top of my head again. What, what, what were we talking about? Sarah Huckabee and, 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 and uh, the cops. You guys are spewing just as much hatred as a Nazi party group. Think about it. You just, I mean, it's, it's like, it. you know, it's funny that everything has changed because it's like when, when the Republicans were not cool when Bill Clinton was an officer or Obama and you hear the Republicans talking and, you know, they're denying climate change and it drives you insane. It drives you insane. They're like, you're not, they're not listening. But now things have changed to where the people that used to be smart and are, you know, we're, we're all aware climate change is real and anybody that says differently is, is an idiot. And if Trump keeps, you know, saying that he's, he's a moron, <laughs> um, they've turned to, you can't talk any sense into them. It, 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 it's all turned around. All the people that I thought were intelligent have become intolerable. It's fascinating, really, that I have to listen uh, because, you know, I live in New York City. I'm a, you know actor. I'm doing the air quotes. And I'm in a business where yeah, people just aren't listening to if I say I'm not I'm not yelling at anybody and saying like Trump is doing great. It's all this. I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to play both sides. And when I say play, I mean, but let's look at the other side. Can't we just have a discussion? They can't have a discussion. It's horrible. You can't have a discussion. Just like if I was talking to some idiot who doesn't believe in climate change and they're telling me like, no, 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 that's all an act. It's all an act. It's a conspiracy. And I'm like, you are a fucking idiot, sir. Whereas somebody can explain to me and I'll be like, oh, I never thought about it that way, which is so weird that me, Dave Juskow, who's a genuine idiot, can actually listen to both sides. I think it's because I know I'm an idiot that I can be swayed by somebody I think is smarter than me. Or is more book read, or you know, intellectual. Is going, or these paralegal kids have gone to Ivy League schools. I keep thinking they're smarter than me, but they're not. They're just they're just inexperienced. They just don't know how the world works. But you know, I mean, there's nothing angrier than just you know when they're just my friend's kid becomes a cop, a very noble profession, and they're just putting it down. That ain't cool. And we, again. Telling OJ to leave a place, I get that. But telling Sarah Huckabee in front of her family, that's so rude. Do you remember, uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of it, but it's Vincent Chevalier in Tomorrow Never Dies, the James Bond movie with Piers Bronson and Michelle Deyee, is that her name? Yo. And Terry Hatcher. And Vincent Chevalier plays a an assassin, a German assassin. He goes, and Bond gets the better of him at one point, even though he seems like he's not going to have it. But he goes, please, I am just a professional doing a job. And then Bond says, me too. Well, there it is. We're all professionals doing a job. So Sarah Huckabee is sitting there doing a job. The owner of the restaurant's doing a job. You have to say, why can't we all get along? I mean, what else can there be? And if you're going to kick somebody who just doesn't have your same political views out of a restaurant we are all so doomed and it's not like she's she's whatever she's saying is what the president's telling her to say are you out of your mind i hope that place closes down i really do and i feel bad for the employees there and stuff like that but this guy that ain't cool i understand you don't want to serve certain people 
You know, if you don't want to serve a couple guys wearing Nazi helmets or whatever, I get that. But this is just as bad as not making a cake for a gay couple or something because you, you know, those aren't your beliefs. I mean, it's the same thing. It's just the opposite. Oh, and the bestest part, now they're they're ripping that red hen apart with it. Well, the most recent inspection, February, uh, oh, in April of 2014, it resulted in a violation for raw beef stored above cooked and ready to eat food, as well as thawing meat stored above cookie bars. And a second violation cited a ready-to-eat container of grits stored in a refrigeration unit without being properly dated. I mean, they're really going to town on this place, you know. Why shouldn't they? Because that's what Donald Trump started. Because he didn't know what to do. He's trying to help his his coworker, you know, his employee, and and he's just like, "Well, your 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 place is dirty," because <laughs> he's got nothing. You don't know what to say. You don't want to. You know, what do you say in that situation? You know, he is the president, and you know he's you know a little crazy, but uh, so he just goes with that, which is funny. Mm. So there's that, and that. Um, I've been waiting to talk about that for three weeks. So, yeah, sorry I took a break last week, but, you know, I was like, well, why am I putting out a uh, a show on the Tuesday before the 4th of July? You know, we always talk about that. We usually just Memorial Day, Labor Day, unless, you know, since we put out Tuesdays, something like that happens, or if New Year's comes on a strange day, you know, so sorry. I was like, why, what am I doing? Uh, so we'll resume our normalcy uh, you know, in the next, the only other break we will be taking will be uh, Labor Day. So everybody needs their fix. And, uh, you know, I enjoy bringing it to you. And uh, I've been thinking some ideas for other podcasts. Remember I've been looking for a TV show to do, a podcast, and go over it with a fine-tooth comb with seasons? I thought of the other day, and I don't mind telling you, because what the hell do I care? I mean, like, God forbid somebody steals it. If they're listening to the show and they actually steal it, I mean, you know, if, if it, who cares? But I was thinking of the Larry Sanders show, and I was actually thinking about calling Judd Apatow, getting his permission, and going through it. I told my sister, goes, don't you have anything more current? And I'm like, yeah, I don't do current. I think everybody who listens to my podcast knows I don't do current. Uh, you know, So it's either this, or we go over the $6 million man, <laughs> which we could do. And then I thought of something really interesting, since it's been coming up so much on the podcast, is doing... A different podcast, you know, we'll always do this one, The Nightfly. What Dave does got. But it's called Movies I've Never Seen. And, you know, like today it came up again. Wedding Crashers. I have never seen Wedding Crashers. And everybody talks about it. So then, you know, I finally see it. And then we talk about it and we have some people on and we discuss if I liked it or not. If I thought it lived up to the hype or something like that. I'm talking about, remember this happened with John O. Abrams. Now I can't even remember that thing. That movie that everybody got angry at me that I hadn't seen. Uh, there's so many. There's so many that I haven't seen where people are like, what? So, you know, that. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of classics, you know, that I haven't seen that, you know, I could do a year's worth of podcasts on. Um, classics, uh, recent classics, you know, stuff. Just stuff I, I've never seen that I probably need to. I don't know, just thinking of other ideas that uh, could branch out a little bit, you know, do some work, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
Maybe there's even a couple of Woody Allen movies I haven't seen. Like, I've never seen Bananas. You know? People are like, what? You know, people listen to this show, what? When I'm sitting there quoting Woody Allen's I just did, and then, of course, I can do the entire the entire movie of Hannah and her sisters. Oh, speaking of which, my birthday show, August 13th, Monday, August 13th, I just asked Adam Schlesinger if he would be interested in doing it. Uh, you know, maybe singing, uh, not singing, but, you know, playing some, you know, maybe we could do that thing you do together or something, but... He is, unfortunately, they're doing something with Sarah's Broadway show. God damn it. Foiled again by Sarah Silverman. But maybe she'll be in town, so maybe that'll all work out. It'd be lovely to have her. I still don't know about Mateo, so I haven't really put anything together, but I got to start doing it because it's coming up in a month. Um, anyway, I went down to the Comedy Cellar. Dave Attell and Jeff Ross were, at, uh, were doing the Bumping Mike's tour which culminated at the Village Underground for a weekend set of six shows, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, and a, a, a television special for Netflix. So I decided to go down Friday night for the early show, and I got there around 7 o'clock. Now, first, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll tell you that part first. So I go down and I see Gnome, the owner, and we're sitting and we're talking. I'll tell you what we're talking about later. But we're sitting together and Rachel Feinstein and Amy Schumer and Nikki Glaser are all sitting at the comics table. We're at a different table. And the three of them get up and walk past us. And I'm dying to see Rachel. I love Rachel. And she just blows by like, hey, and just walks away. Like they are the cast of Mean Girls just completely dissing me because they're with better people. And me and Marina Franklin are sitting together, and Marina's like, whoa, those three. And let me tell you something. I am not a drama queen. I am not a drama queen. But that was not acceptable. No, but that's my favorite new bit. People say, like, oh, you're such a drama queen. How, excuse me, how exactly am I a drama queen? In what universe do I come off as some form of big drama queen? So she leaves and I'm pretty pissed off, right? So anyway, so we go to the Village Underground where the show is and I'm sitting in the back with Artie who I wanted to say look great, but he doesn't look great. And we were talking and he said, I'm in his new book. There's a picture of me in the new book. So I was so excited about that. So he goes, hey, I'll get you a copy. I'm going to my car. I'll be right back. Never saw him again. <laughs> But, of course, that I didn't expect to. So I'm just standing in the back with the, the other comics. And then the manager, Liz, goes, Jessica, I need you to fill a table. Because they have to fill a table because they're shooting a TV show. they got to fill up the tables. So I'm like, so I just listen to whatever she's like. You know, I'm terrified of her. And I go sit at the table. I'm sitting with No, the owner of the comedy cellar. So I'm like, oh, well, that's not too bad. And we have great seat. A really great seat right in the corner. You can see David Jeff so well. And it, the show's gone great. Bruce Willis was there. He was hilarious. He played the harmonica. It was a really terrific thing. And then all of a sudden, Liz goes, Jessica, you got to get up. And Noam had to get up, too, because Amy, Rachel, and Nikki were going to sit in our chairs. And I go, what, I got to go, too? And Noam's like, what, do you want to make Amy angry? And I'm like, absolutely not. So Amy, Rachel, and Nikki waltz in, sit where I was sitting, and then he brings them on stage as if they were there the whole time. 
Then they get on stage and they say, oh, we've been enjoying the show. We've been here the whole time. Liars. And then they come back, they sit down, and then they leave again before the show's over. I couldn't even believe I got dissed by Rachel Feinstein twice that night. I hate her. Well, that's me being a drama queen, but I do. I was pretty angry, but not that angry, because I know when she's with Amy, it's kind of like the way I'm with Sarah, but still, I would have stopped and told her what was going on and then caught up to Sarah. I am Sarah's bitch. Amy, Rachel is Amy's bitch. But with Sarah, I really have no reason to be a bitch. Rachel's entire financial status relies on Amy, so that maybe you could go ahead. But it's just coincidence and bad timing. I guess they were just... You know, they were doing this thing or whatever. And they went on. It was pretty fun. The show itself was really good. It was a really good time. That stupid bumping mic things is dumb. But whatever it was, Dave and Jeff are hilarious. Really hilarious. It's going to make a great special. And they're so smart. They're only making it a half hour, three episodes. I love it. They tape six, six episodes. They tape six shows so they can pull from anything. So I didn't go to the second show. I went over to the bar I hang out and got drunk. Then I came back. Um, and Dave and Jeff were filming locations. We went to the city bike location. Then it's like three in the morning and they're filming a bunch of stuff. And I'm with uh, Jeff and Sarah's agent, Amy's V. And we're hanging out. And then we go get pierogies at Valsalka. But I had drank wine that night. For some reason, I, you know how I never know what I'm going to drink. I decided to drink wine over ice that night. I don't know why. I was a drama queen. <laughs> and that just gave me a splitting headache. Uh, so I was really not having it. So then Saturday, I was completely, I was pretty messed up. Um, so I didn't do anything. Then Sunday, I'm like, you know what? I should go see another show because it's my best friend's. So I couldn't get out of the house on Sunday. I was having a lot of problems, and I couldn't get to the 8 o'clock show, but I said, I can go to the 11. I'm going to make the 11. I'm going to go out on a Sunday night. This is very un-Jusk-out-like, but I'm going to try it. And I got myself out at 9.30, and I went down, and then I sat in the booth where, all, where Dave's manager and Jeff's manager and the people from Netflix were. Like this booth that was cornered off and you could just see the TV screens. I took a picture of like eight TV screens. So I wasn't actually watching the show, but I was in this thing and I was all the way in the corner and then I started having diarrhea symptoms. I think I was just panicked, probably ate poorly the night before. I was hung over a little bit from the night. So I was like, how am I going to even, I would have to ask five people to move out to go to the bathroom. Oh my God, I was terrified. <laughs> but it went away. Because I was like praying it would go away. And I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. It was one of those things. I'm like, I'm positive this isn't real diarrhea. This is just stress-related diarrhea. There's something about this place that stresses me out. Because I'm always on my best behavior. I'm afraid to drink. It's all this nonsense. I don't know what I'm doing. But it all worked out. I was laughing. And then at the end, Dave and Jeff got a cake. It was their last show. And they brought me on stage. Like with the other comics. They're like, oh, let's bring all the comics up here. And they and they called my name and they all let me out. They're like, Jessica, you got to get out there. And I'm like, no, no, no. I was dying. I didn't want to go. But they all let me out and I went on. So maybe I'll be on the special. That was exciting. And then we hung out after they had a cake and we we're all hanging out and talking. Uh, Atel's uh, sister was there and everything. So it was kind of fun. And uh, then we just went outside. And I swear to God, it was like 1 in the morning, 1.30. I was outside for two hours, just right 
outside the Village Underground. It was kind of a nice night, except the garbage was out there and, you know, homeless people. But we were just talking with everybody for like two hours because Dave and Jeff were still filming. Two hours. Then I finally went inside to see if my friends were still at the bar at like 3.50. And then they locked me in the bar and I didn't leave that bar till 7 a.m. I just hung out with the staff until 7 a.m. during like I had another beer at 6.30 in the morning on Monday morning <laughs> it was like what but I wasn't having a bad time and but it was just weird when I left at 7 7 15 I took the subway home I was gonna take a cab but I'm like no it's probably gonna be traffic like I had to I was dealing with commuters the subway train was crowded <laughs> it was like ridiculous and I got home at like eight in the morning I didn't expect that uh but that was kind of a fun night but you never expect that you know um, but that's a good night though, right? But that's the, pro- I think that's half the problem when I go down there. I'm like, wait, am I drinking today? Am I, am I not drinking? Am I going to hang out late? You know, that's the thing. I go down. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a late night. It's always a late night. And it, it's in my head. It's like trying to get the car out. If I want to take it to Jersey, I'm like in my head, I'm like, I got I to ride to the parking garage. Then I got to try and get out of the city. That's going to take an hour. And it's like, when it gets in your head. You get all messed up, but I put it together and I went and had a really good time. And that is the important part of the story. Paul Rudd was there that night, too. He was on both shows. In fact, uh, he was on the first show. Then he got so fucked up, he stayed for the second show, which is kind of cool. And Saturday night, which I didn't see, it's so funny. Gilbert Godfrey was there and Dave called me and said, oh, my God, this was the best show we've ever done. We found the missing piece of the puzzle, and it's Gilbert. I can't believe I wasn't there that night, of course. But apparently that was a special show, unless Dave just thinks so. But I talked to everybody, and they said it was amazing. It's kind of Gilbert, the piece of the puzzle. Interesting. You know why? Because I think he can keep up with Dave. Dave is just, well, he's just ridiculous, and he really is a genius. And to Jeff is the Roastmaster General, but David Tell is on another level of, I don't know, it's uh, it's just hard to say. The man truly is a genius, and when you sit and watch him work, you can see why all the comics know he's the best. I mean, it's just, it doesn't come off on TV. So you may never know. <laughs> when you're there live, as I've often told you, it's, uh, I don't know, you get it. But on TV, it's different. It's hard to explain. It'll still be great, though. It's going to be a great, it's a fun show. It's a fun show. Finally, somebody found a new way to do stand-up comedy. You know, I've been telling Jeff that for a long. He's been good at it. He, the, his specials are fun. They're, they're not boring. They're not dull. Somebody finally found a new way to not just sit up there with a stupid microphone and mix it up a little bit and still tell some jokes. And that, for me, works on every level. Now, um... What I was going to say is that, so so, the Wednesday, Wednesday before uh, I went to that show on the Friday, uh, the last weekend in June, my sister, you know how I always got to see either my nephew or the kids in a stupid show, my sister's, uh, so my sister, she, uh, she had another show, she had a production of Fiddler on the Roof, what a goddamn nightmare, it's, it plays in the park, it's outdoors. I got to say, this show, I hate Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, I've just seen it too much. Let alone, my I was right. That show stinks. 
that first they should just stop after the first act it's so uplifting and fun the songs are amazing and that second act oh it's so depressing and horrible and every song just drags it's a nightmare that's the worst show never do that show but that first act is terrific although it was so long we were outdoors and it was kind of it was going to rain the whole night but it never did i was so angry that it might rain because i'm like i finally get out of the office i'm you know good to go but I was wearing a very summery outfit, so I was wearing, um, like, khaki pants, you know, like tan-colored pants. And when you wear tan or white pants, you got to be careful of when you pee, because if you're not careful, you're going to drip on your pants, and then you look like a moron. So I was tucked in, and I... I know how to now handle the pants and even, you know, I'm an older man, so I I can't completely, I know this is gross, but, you know, you can't stop it sometimes, you know, just take, you can't get everything out you need to. So I carefully, and remember I told you I have bad bad underwear now, I just, you know, I was getting it from Old Navy and now they they got a new brand and the boxer briefs and they're not working at all, I got to find other underwear. And I want to get that Tommy John underwear, but each one is like $17. The old day, I get a three-pack for 17 bucks. <laughs> I can't go wrong with that. So all the time, you know, you got to take the underwear, put it around, make sure you don't spill any on the... I mean, you really got to be careful. Technically, you should go to the bathroom, pull down your pants, but who likes the... I like to use the, you know, the zipper. <laughs> so all day... So anyway... I decided to, my mother bought me, <laughs> that story is crazy, this is the way it's being told, they're talking about the way I pee and my mother, uh, so my mother at Nordstrom's bought me a pair of better underwear, they were Calvin Klein's, and they're a little softer and they're nicer, but they're a little flimsy, so I wore it that night because I knew I was going to be sitting a lot and walking around and I didn't want to be bunched up, but they're, they're very light. So when you wrap the, you know, the underwear around the, your pee-pee, uh, <laughs> it's still soaking through the pants. It's, it's a complete humiliation. Because I was like, wait, I, I know I didn't fuck up this time. And then I realized what it was. So I'm like, oh, my God. And I had to keep running back to my desk at work so nobody would notice, you know, until it dried up. I mean, this is totally humiliating. So... I'm like, you know, I just got to be careful, but I know by the time I get to New Jersey, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom before I see the show. I know I'm going to have to go. So I did everything I could. I went to a stall. I pulled down my pants. I did everything I could to not have this problem, but alas, it just was not successful. I know Howard Stern always talks about wrapping a, bun- a piece of toilet paper around his penis, but I, I'm not prepared for that. I, I just can't. So I came out of the bathroom in the park, and it's, you know, it's there. Is anybody looking? They shouldn't be, but who knows? And then it, the whole place is crowded, and I got to go back and sit down. And I ran to my seat and sat down immediately. And, like... That you know, I was so uptight that somebody was going to see it, and I just sat in a seat right away. And they're like, "Oh, you're sitting in the wrong chair." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just <laughs> like we're hope praying nobody's going to notice. 
and I think I put I put my uh, script over it. Yeah, the uh, the, the playbill over it. Uh, so nobody knows. So embarrassing to go back because I'm feeling like everybody's going to notice. Everybody's looking at my crotch, obviously, because they're like, look at me, and they're just like, oh, that guy's got a huge cock. That, yeah, obviously, that's what people, you know, when they see me, they just say, oh my god, that guy's got a huge cock. Um, <laughs> so. But then the whole night, so then I, I went to the bathroom in intermission, never even went back to the show. I mean, I watched it from the back. Then we went out to eat with the cast at the Fox and the Hound in the Menlo Park Mall. I had to go to the bathroom again. I'm like, all right, how are we going to do this now? And this time, I used the toilet paper trick so it wouldn't work out. Because I'm not going to humiliate myself in front of the cast. I'm like, Beth, what's with your brother? Does he not know how to pee properly? Maybe somebody should teach him. I mean, I like wearing summery pants, so it looks like, you know, I'm not an idiot, but I just got to wear the, the regular underwear next time. I just can't wear the flimsy underwear. You just can't do it if you're wearing those pants. Maybe you wear it with jeans. I don't know. I never had this problem before. I've never been this age before. I went to scene, man. Now, I guarantee there's not going to be other podcasts to talk about this kind of stuff. So I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> Why would somebody want to talk about this? But uh, I felt I had to because it's hilarious. And uh, because you can picture it. (laughs) I think you can picture me uh, just running and just being like, oh, my God. This is horrible. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this uh, Fiddler on the Roof nonsense. And I'm saying to myself, uh, you know, so so when I go to the cellar on Friday, I'm with Noam, and we're talking about the great Alan Dershowitz, because they're friendly with him, and he's been on a couple of the shows, not the comedy shows, but he's been, you know, on debates that they have, because Noam loves, Noam and I share somewhat similar political views but he's a little bit more, I think, right. I am definitely in the middle. I just can't believe that I don't know anybody else like me. Actually, it seemed like Russell and Eve was like that, too. At least people that just listen to reason. I mean, I'd be very upset if they pick a Supreme Court justice that's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. That would really bother me. It makes me angry to think that the president has a problem with Planned Parenthood. That's a terrific organization. So what I'm saying basically is, why can't I pick and choose what battles I want to be with? I don't like the president saying he's going to get rid of Roe versus Wade. That makes me nervous and uneasy and scared. So I have my battles too. But I'm going to work it out in the next election. I'm going to pick somebody else who doesn't have those views. I'm not going to go crazy and ruin everybody's day by holding up traffic so Dave Juskow can't get to Jersey to see a fiddler on the roof. Thank you. Now, as you know, the only reason I love Alan Dershowitz is because of the way Ron Silver played him in Reversal of Fortune. I can't get enough of this portrayal. Two big problems. The case against him is very strong. And probably more important, the legal conviction isn't the only conviction that we got to reverse. The more dangerous conviction is the absolute certainty of the American people that Klaus is guilty. Finding grounds for reversal won't be enough here. 
Judges on the Rhode Island Supreme Court will have to go home to their spouses and explain why they reversed. Get them to do that. We have to completely obliterate every single aspect of the state's case. Destroy both the medical case and their witnesses so the judges have no possible way to affirm. Total victory or we are dead in the water. Now, I assume that you've all had a, uh, an opportunity to look at the transcripts. First impressions, yeah, me. I think this whole thing stinks. I think Klaus von Bülow stinks. He's obviously guilty of something pretty despicable. And if we free him, we become partners in his crime, accessories after the fact. I'm really shocked with your record defending the poor and oppressed that you've taken this case. I won't have anything to do with it. And I hope my fellow students won't either. Goodbye. May I exercise my First Amendment right to free speech? If lawyers only defended innocent clients, there'd be 10 defense lawyers in the entire country and none of you would be able to find a job. Why help guilty people get off? Oh, you're sure he's guilty, 100% sure. He had a lawyer, he had a trial, he was convicted. Are you sure he had a fair trial? Come on! It's the basis of the whole legal system. Everyone gets a defense. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I don't, I could let that scene. I love that movie. I could take out the stuff with Glenn Close and make a perfect movie, just like uh, with Devil Wears Prada. Take out the stuff with uh, that Adrian Greer, whatever his name is, and make a perfect movie. I love I love watching Ron Silver play Alan Dershowitz. I mean, I love it, and it's so awesome. So anyway, I'm with Gnome, and we're talking. And I said I went to see Fiddler on the Roof, and I said. Boy, I really hate that movie, but uh, also they should do Fiddler on the Roof Part 2. You know, when they end up in America, New York, and Teffy's singing and dancing, and the person he's staying with is like, can you just get a job? Um, but it's like when you're listening to If I Were a Rich Man, and it turns out he said Dershowitz said the same thing, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, God, anybody watching this would be like, yeah, that's uh, those Jews. That's all they think about all the time. That's, uh, this song oh, is just horrible in the sense that it's very embarrassing for Jewish. You made many, many poor people. God, I hate Tevye so much. Why don't I you realize, shut up? Of course, it's no shame to be poor. But it's, but it's not, not great, great honor either. either. <sighs> Build a big, tall house with the rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with the real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up And one even longer coming down And one more leading nowhere just for show I'd fill my yard with the chicks and turkeys with and geese and ducks For the town to see and hear Squawking just as noisily as they can and each will land like a trumpet on the ear as if to say here lives a wealthy man 
If I were a rich song bothers me now because I just figure everybody's like, yeah, that figures. There it is. You see? They love their money. Meanwhile, that's all the uh, rappers ever talk about anyway, but um, I don't know. So Dershowitz was saying the same thing and it made me happy that uh, we had the same feeling because Dershowitz is a major intellect. Thank you. But that all being said, um, so... Then I was just looking up further on the roof because I was kind of fascinated by the movie that came out in 1971. It won a couple of Oscars because uh, uh, John Williams did the music for it. You believe that? Not that he didn't write those songs, but he did like the, you know, the other kind of music. And um, that's unbelievable. So John Williams did Fiddler on the Roof and Star Wars. (laughs) I mean, countless others, but it's just kind of funny. So what kind of movies have you done? Well, I've done Star Wars, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and uh, I don't know if you heard Fiddler on the Roof. It's about a bunch of Jews that uh, live in poverty. What are the other ones about? Space. Um, but I was thinking because I couldn't, I still to this day, I can't figure out why Tapal was in that movie. We were talking about that too, because nobody can figure it out. But then I did some research, and they said, because it was supposed to be Zero Mostel, but they felt Zero Mostel like, you know, back then they would take the Broadway stars and be like, no, no, you're out, and this other guy's in. Just like they did that to Ethel Merman like a hundred times because she was fat and ugly, and they'd put in like prettier women. Or just other women, so mean. Uh, Zero Mostel, I mean, they said, oh, he's, he's too big for it. He's too big. He must have been furious. I think he was. Who, who wouldn't be? They did that to Julie Andrews. In My Fair Lady, she originated the role, and then they put Audrey Hepburn in it. I mean, meanwhile, Audrey Hepburn's Audrey Hepburn, but uh, Julie Andrews is pretty good, too. But she showed him a thing or two by winning an Oscar the year after for Mary Poppins. So she let him have it good. But still, that My Fair Lady won Best Picture in 63, so she had to be. I mean, that's pretty devastating. But it reminds me of the scene in Notting Hill where they are talking about uh, where Julia Roberts first comes into the store and he goes, I don't believe you'll know who's in here. And he goes, what's this, someone famous? Wouldn't it be exciting if it was someone famous? That's his uh, bookshop assistant. And he goes, you know, once I saw Ringo Starr. And he goes, wow. And he goes, well, I think it was him. It might have been that actor from Fiddler on the Roof, Topal. And he goes, you mean Topol or whatever. They keep to get the pronunciation wrong or right. And he goes, actually, Topal doesn't look anything like Ringo Starr, and he goes, yes, yeah, probably not. Not really a classic story. No, not a classic, not a classic. Another one? No, let's go crazy. How about orange juice? Another one? Uh, yes, no. Let's go crazy. I'll have an orange juice. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got it right, baby. What's happening? Anyway, uh, last Tuesday, I actually met Hugh Grant, after all this time, in person... I went to see a screening of his new Amazon Prime show called A Very English Scandal with Ben Wishaw, who plays Q in James Bond. Speaking of which, Topal was also in James Bond and For Your Eyes Only, which he was excellent in, actually. But uh, I don't know why I'm uh, putting these together, but that's what our show does. And um, I saw him, and I saw the screening of the first episode. It's three parts, and it's based on a true story. He's a homosexual in it, which was problematic a little bit. There's a little kissing. It's like the, uh, 
you know, call me by your name again. It's a little tough, but uh, I got through it. And um, it's pretty funny. Hugh Grant's funny. He's definitely funny, but he looks older. Like I thought they put makeup on him, but then he came out and he did a Q&A and he's definitely older. Yeah. I mean, he just looked, I don't, he didn't age well. It's weird. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he was drinking. I don't know. It's weird. He just doesn't, I mean, uh, I don't, it's hard to explain, but if you see the thing, you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't want to be rude or anything. I mean, speaking of not aging well, <laughs> how are you? But, um, I mean, you know, he was a pretty boy, technically. That's what made him so charming in the movies. But now, but he's still charming. And uh, it's pretty good. I'm on episode two. I need to see the final episode. Um, I don't know. Tomorrow? This weekend? Whatever. Whatever. I'm also planning to go see Joan Jett at the PNC Bank Center in Jersey on the 15th. But uh, I'll tell you, before I go down, I think I'm going to go down the shore. Uh, this comes out Tuesday, so I'll have gone to the shore last weekend. I'll tell you all about it. But I think I'm going to stop at the Monmouth Racetrack and place a bet, place a wager on baseball. Be- oh, wait a minute. Is that the damn All-Star Game weekend? Oh, well, that's not going to be helpful. Oh, well, that's no fun. No, maybe it's the weekend after, so I can at least place a bet, uh, which will be fine. I got to try it, right? So I think I'm going to go to the shore both weekends. And, uh, you know, you got to try it, right? We're going to see how it works out. Oh, also, um, the hot dog eating contest was yesterday. And, the you know, the Joey Chestnut run again, ran, won again. And, of course, there was controversy. I don't know if you saw it. But you could tell right from the beginning there was a problem with the eating thing. Now, at the end of ESPN, they said, you know, 64 hot dogs. But he ate 74, broke his own record and a world record. And there there was a problem with the scoring. But you could see from the beginning the girl was, like, doing something weird. And they were completely off. And it's like, you know, I saw them on the Today Show after that. and And the announcer was just like, these guys have one job to count hot dogs. And they and they messed it up. It's really it's always really messed up when somebody has one job and they can't get it right. But um, it bothers me. So ESPN. I mean, this is the problem with. It's not just ESPN. I think I want to do an article about this. It's not just ESPN. It's also you know when I was watching America's Got Talent, American Idol. What they do is they wait until the final seconds to announce who the winner is or whatever. Right. So you're watching an hour long introductions of the hot dog eating contest where this should be a half hour show you're doing an hour long in-depth interviews on all the contestants and then the bringing them up on stage and then the eating contest is 10 minutes which ends at 12:59, and then they just cut and jerry chestnut wins and they cut away now number one the one with all that hype you want to see a little bit of celebration and you want to see an exit interview, and they just cut away. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're waiting for. You want to see the celebration because you've hyped us for the celebration, but they just cut away, and then it's over. And, 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 but this time, let's say they did that a little. They, there was still, it was still a controversy in question. The, there was a problem. How do you not 
keep, they had to cut away to go to the cornhole tossing event at, in Brooklyn in, at the Cyclones? That's what they had to cut away to? Are you kidding? All right, so that's nothing, right? I'm saying it's not a big deal, right? But many times I watch American Idol, when I was watching those shows, or America's Got Talent, they announced the winner with three seconds left in the show, and then they cut away. So you miss the celebration completely. You want to spend at least a minute and a half celebrating, getting an exit interview, I, I just don't understand. You give us two hours of buildup and then no celebration after? I just don't understand it. It's, it's, it's very odd. And I think it's a problem. You can't build people up like that and then not show them what they want. It's weird. It's weird that no one's figured it out yet. Spend an extra minute. Am I the only one that thinks that way? I can't imagine I, it is. It's like they do that with football too, you know. Like when they, they win, they just pretty much, we'll see you tomorrow. And that's all right. That's a weekly event or whatever, I guess. But, I mean, sometimes when it's, they do an exit interview on Sunday nights sometimes. You know, at least they, they do that on Sunday nights. But in the afternoon, they just go away. It's weird that you have all the buildup and the hype and all that stuff, and then they just cut away. I mean, the Super Bowl... You know, you're going to get your exit interviews, your celebrations until the cows come home. But, you know, normally you just, I don't know. It's like that's what we're there for. Let's see the jubilation or let's see the non-reaction or whatever's going to happen. But if you still have controversy, how do you cut away? I know it's not a real sporting event. I mean, don't tell anybody I said that, but... Uh... Uh, also, I think, you know, we found out that we can, um, do a podcast at Jeff Ross's new house. So we should be able to do a couple of good LA podcasts coming up with some good guests, which should be really kind of terrific, I would think. And, uh, so I don't know. It sounds, I think we got a lot of good stuff coming up and I really think I've been, you know, reading the book and. I think the interview, I'm hoping the interview with Violet Ramis will be good. I mean, the good thing about her is that she does seem rather forthcoming in the sense that um, she, you know, had a good relationship with her father. I don't think she'll mind if I talk about her father at length, uh, you know, and, you know, and really go a little gaga uh, because they did have a great relationship. So that's, you know, sometimes when they don't have a good relationship, well, then I probably wouldn't interview her, I guess, because then it would be all about her. Um, but, oh, gosh, do we have questions and things, and um, there's some really interesting stuff in the book of stuff that, you know, our podcast is going to want to know about Caddyshack and Groundhog Day and things like that. So that should be interesting, and that should be next week. So that is something to look forward to. The only thing I'd be barring any unforeseen circumstances is Larry Davidson. <laughs> she should be here. We should record and we should throw it right out to you. That is the plan. Uh, also coming up, we have comic book writer and artist Paul Pope, who has been writing for Batman for like 20 years. That should be interesting to a few of us. <laughs> well, you know, we like to mix it up. So if we have Ghostbusters Daughter, which is the name of her book, on one week, and then we have uh, 
the writer and uh, you know artist of Batman the next week, and then we have the producer of Family Guy on one week, and we have an acting teacher on the next. I mean, isn't that what a podcast should be? Kind of all over the place and just having a good time and having an adventure together and just enjoy listening. I got nothing. <laughs> Well, I wish I was a little bit more prolific, but uh, that's the way it is. And you love it. The Nightfly with Dave Jessica will be back next week. Everybody, have a wonderful week of July 2018. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Good night, everybody.